I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. If you value our work, please consider supporting us by becoming a podcast sponsor. If you become a new sponsor or if you renew your current sponsorship by increasing your gift, the impact of your investment in the Cato Institute will be doubled thanks to one of our generous sponsors who will be matching your gift dollar for dollar. The only way to do it is to visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and make that donation. Cato accepts no government money. We depend on the generosity of sponsors to help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 17th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Facebook is under legal assault from the federal government and state attorneys general for buying up other tech firms in a practice that those governments believe constitute monopolistic practices. Cato's Ryan Bourne and Will Duffield evaluate the claims. There are multiple suits uh, essentially asking for Facebook to be broken up. And, uh, you know, one of these is these are along antitrust grounds. So what do we understand uh, antitrust as a tool uh, will to be capable of? Well, it's intended to address market monopolies. And these suits present Facebook as it currently exists, having brought on Instagram, having brought on WhatsApp as existing as a monopoly with these these arms working in tandem in a way they they perhaps don't now i think these suits are motivated by a lot of broader animus against facebook concerns about its content moderation practices concerns about its sheer size whether it allows hate speech whether it removes too much but these sorts of content moderation questions won't be solved by antitrust. Um, If anything, if you were to splinter Facebook into a separate WhatsApp, a separate Instagram, then on one hand, these platforms would have fewer resources to combat spam, hate, and disinformation. But they're unlikely to liberalize their actual policies around these issues. So it's likely that for users of these more separate platforms, They'd sort of see the boat, the worst of both worlds when it came to moderation, in that enforcement would be more varied and more seemingly capricious, but it really wouldn't address either left or right concerns about content moderation and how these platforms are governed. Yeah, it sounds a lot like this is an effort to punish Facebook for something that is not necessarily alleged in the lawsuits themselves. Ryan Bourne, to you, what are state AGs asking for and what what are they claiming is the harm associated with having these different programs operating under this single umbrella? So first of all, I want to echo what Will said. I think there's a kind of um, competition pixie dust uh, effect that's just assumed here, whereby um, a lot of these suits reflect, as Will said, a, a broader animus towards um, Facebook and other big tech companies, and it's just assumed that if um, actions are taken that that made these companies less powerful in their markets, then all these other ills, downstream ills uh, that are perceived to exist, such as on content moderation or, or privacy settings, would improve. And there's no, as far as I can tell, no economic 
uh, reason why that should necessarily be the case. Now, what are we seeing here? Well, um, existing antitrust laws are being uh, used and appealed to to try to get, um, amongst other things, Facebook to effectively divest Instagram and WhatsApp to kind of break those apart from Facebook. Now, what is the argument here? The argument essentially hinges on this idea that Facebook is a monopoly in a particular market and that its acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp harmed the potential for more competition in that market and so from that harmed consumer welfare and innovation in the sector. Now, I think there's a, a central contradiction in this case, um, which is quite clearly set out in the suits. On the one hand, the FTC and the, the 48 uh, state AGs want to define the market extremely narrowly as um, personal social networking in the United States um, in order to claim that Facebook is a clear monopoly. Now, that, of course, precludes a lot of other platforms that are used internationally. Um, and it also ropes Facebook off from um, more specialist social networking sites like LinkedIn, um, from mobile messaging services, and from streaming platforms. But having done that, having tried to show how Facebook operates in this siloed market um, to prove that it's a monopoly, in the next breath, they are claiming that Facebook having acquired businesses that don't fit that definition is somehow anti-competitive for that sector. So in my view, you cannot, on the one hand, say Facebook has been a kind of pervasive personal social networking monopoly because it's so different from services such as WhatsApp that we can't think of those um, uh, businesses as competitors, but then say buying WhatsApp harms competition because WhatsApp had the potential uh, over time to move into Facebook's core business. I think there's a central contradiction there. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think this this suit kind of doesn't hold up from an economic perspective. I, I think that's right on point and really gets at the fact that these are different platforms serving different ser products to different people. Facebook doesn't just, uh, Facebook competes with Google along a number of avenues, but they might not be bundled into a Facebook-like product. YouTube is clearly a competitor to Facebook Live, while a Gmail address often serves as an alternative to Facebook's sort of digital passport. Um, and the extent to which any of these parts of Facebook, Instagram or WhatsApp, are dominant right now within their given niches as a mobile first messaging platform or a photo sharing network, they're still going to be, even if Facebook is split up. There's no reason for Facebook to turn around and create a competitor to WhatsApp or WhatsApp to be carved off from it. Um, there's no reason WhatsApp would go into the photo network business. So I think to, to look back and to try to split these firms off now on the basis that they could have become something that they were never intended to be, that particularly in the case of Instagram, um, its, its founder, Kevin Systrom, never intended Instagram to be a full-service, um, feature-rich social media platform like Facebook. He really disdained that model. I think uh, Instagram actually was meant to be as simple as it could possibly be. A exactly. So to 
compare really this um, imagined consumer benefit of an Instagram as Facebook to the existing consumer benefits of Instagram that was able to scale within Facebook seems like a specious reason to to push a breakup. Am I right in thinking that uh, this is an attempt to punish Facebook for something that is not alleged in the lawsuit? Um, I, I think that a lot of the the force or public support behind these these lawsuits um, is is reducible to that. Um, I also think that this approach ignores a lot of the potential consumer benefit of Facebook size and and acquisition of niche, perhaps unproven services. Um, from a consumer standpoint, there's great value in something like Oculus being built out with Facebook's resources. When Facebook offers a mobile VR headset at a low price, they aren't pushing anyone out of that market because the market didn't exist before they got into it. However, in establishing that market or proving the existence of this niche for others, they allow others to perhaps raise capital and, and move into that space, either to directly compete or in hopes of also being acquired. And they create a whole market for app developers and other people who would build services for this, this new product that, again, consumers might not have seen for years to come um, if it weren't for their ability to finance its creation and rollout. What are the historical parallels here uh, for uh, Facebook being this supposed giant monolith that cannot be stopped? Well, I think in terms of the effect of this this proposed breakup, it would look more like the Ma Bell splintering than than anything else. In that, again, if you carve off WhatsApp, you carve off Instagram, they're still dominant in their niches, just as the breakup of Ma Bell created regional monopolies. And in the end, what really surpassed Ma Bell, brought something else to, to the market that beat even these regional monopolies, were new forms of, of um, really cell phones and, and the internet that replaced long-distance calling as a means of real-time one-to-one communication. Yeah, I think that's, that's all right, and I agree with Will on that. I just go back to the, the central point here, and the central contradiction, I think, is that if the attorneys general and the FTC really do believe that companies such as um, WhatsApp and Instagram could have ultimately grown to compete with Facebook's core business, then there's in fact a whole load of other companies, whether you think of Twitter, TikTok, Snap, that one could conceivably believe um, would have that opportunity too. So the, the market that Facebook is operating in is, is perhaps more contestable than other parts of the lawsuit they're letting on. It's, it's fair to say that acquisitions are only part of this suit. Um, there is also a discussion uh, later on about Facebook dealing with third-party uh, services and, and supposedly changing its practices and, and policies um, with its uh, programming interfaces um, on which some of those other businesses relied. Uh, which uh, Facebook are accused of uh, behaving anti-competitively on. I know less about that. That's not something I've looked at in a great uh, deal of detail. But but reading those sections, and I'd be interested in Will's thoughts on this, it almost seemed as if um, 
the suit was predicated on the idea that uh, once you set up something that may assist another business, and we know that Facebook has been a platform for many small, medium-sized enterprises to advertise their products, but once uh, Facebook has established these uh, programming interfaces that other businesses are accessing, um, that those businesses kind of have a right to use them on Facebook's um, through Facebook's products forevermore. That seems to me like a variant of the kind of essential facilities doctrine. That um, you know, once you've built this and it's being widely used, uh, you don't have the right to determine which other uh, firms are able to use it. Which it seems quite retrograde from a innovation perspective. If we want to incentivize companies to build up new new general purpose platforms, well, I think. There's there's a missing piece to that puzzle as well in the CFAA, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which creates legal penalties, criminal legal penalties, for um, misuse of or really unauthorized access to, and this is unauthorized access as the platform rather than perhaps as a user might understand it. Um, these underlying APIs and and the platforms um, or services architecture. Um, so long as you have this potential penalty in play, and Facebook has um, implicated the CFAA in a suit against a, a firm that sought to create a kind of dashboard for Facebook um, in a case from a couple of years ago called Facebook v. Power Ventures. Until we take the thumb off the scale um, presented by the CFAA in these sorts of disputes over API access, I, I think it's hard to see antitrust as the natural remedy to competitors not having enough access to mainstream or dominant platform data. There are a lot of problems with antitrust in general, and in the tech sector in particular, a lot of the markets that are claimed to be uh, nice fat tr targets for antitrust litigation were invented by a lot of the, the firms that we're, we're talking about here. So in the realm of consumer welfare, which is supposed to be what antitrust focuses on, what are, what are the prospects here? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, you read the suit and um, there's lots of talk about uh, Facebook in inverted commas building a competitive moat or neutralizing a competitor as if that per se, is a problem. Of course, all companies try to make a competitive moat around their business. So otherwise, there wouldn't be any profits in the medium term. Um, but building that competitive moat uh, means doing things to make yourself profitable. It means differentiating your product, uh, competing on quality, uh, bringing new technologies uh, in-house, or sometimes you know, a, a developing new technologies in-house, or sometimes bringing new technologies in-house by acquiring competitors so even if we were to think um, that instagram or whatsapp were competing in the same market as facebook and facebook took them over even with the intention of um, neutralizing a competitor what ultimately we should care about is whether those acquisitions harmed consumer welfare um, and i think when you look at these on the objective facts it's very difficult um, to suggest um, that they did, you'd have to develop quite a speculative counterfactual world where WhatsApp was able to um, build itself up 
to compete with Facebook's core business. It's difficult when you look at um, the quality improvements that you've seen in Instagram uh, to suggest that there's some counterfactual world in which um, Instagram would have been at much higher quality and uh, developed more in terms of its innovation in its sector. So, you know, I think this case could fall down on a number of grounds. Um, the the market definition and that contradiction we talked about earlier uh, is important, but I'm really interested to see what purported evidence there is um, that these supposed anti-competitive acts actually harmed consumer welfare because, um, as I say, it's quite difficult to imagine a counterfactual world in which um, there was significant consumer harm as a result of these acquisitions. And there, I think it's important to note that what Facebook or persons within Facebook might have expected the result of these acquisitions to be doesn't actually tell us whether they really were anti-competitive or not. Um, obviously, today, Facebook continues to run all of these services as while they may share backend data, essentially separate services without feeling that they cannibalize one another to the extent that they've shut down WhatsApp and rolled it into Facebook Messenger or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right, Will. Um, and actually, one of the problems is um, without robust evidence that there is um, consumer harm here, what people tend to rely on are these hot docs from companies where they look at things that members of uh, Facebook's executive have said and they take those kind of intentions as evidence of the kind of outcomes that you're talking about that might harm consumers. So it's worth noting that quite often these hot docs are quoted pretty selectively. So um, people have um, taken the Instagram acquisition, for example, uh, and uh, taken some of the things that Facebook insiders were saying about neutralizing a competitor. But if you actually look at um, some of the emails quoted, um, they also explicitly state that part of the rationale for that acquisition was improving the quality of Facebook's existing offer to consumers. So disentangling what might be perceived as an anti-competitive uh, impact from that uh, clear desire to improve outcomes on behalf of consumers, I think is going to be quite difficult. To cast this back to the Microsoft antitrust suit of the 1990s, the competitive reasoning here would expect Microsoft Word and Internet Explorer, once divested from Microsoft, to begin creating operating systems of their own. Clearly, that would be really ridiculous. Microsoft Word might have maintained a competitive advantage in word processing, um, one that even a Microsoft that continued to create operating systems wouldn't have wanted to compete with them for. But we wouldn't expect them to create a browser or operating system to compete with Microsoft or an independent Internet Explorer. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.